Parents, have you ever taken your kiddos on a road trip and you immediately thought, this was a bad idea? You've you been there? Your kids are in the car, you're saying, we're going to the Grand Canyon, right? We're going to the Grand Canyon, we're going to see the biggest hole in the world. We're going, you're going with us, it's going to be great. Five minutes into the journey, the kids say, are we there yet? And you say, nope, just 24 hours to go. And they say, can we stop here? I'm hungry. Can we stop here? I'm thirsty. They got the, you stopped, you got the food, you gave them the drink, and then two minutes down the road they say, I got to go to the bathroom. And, you know, they get everything they want, and they're, they're, they're just they're complaining so much, you just throw an iPad back there, throw on VeggieTales, and you're good for a couple hours. And then they look out the window, and they see all these big, giant turbine fans, because you're going through West Texas, right? And they say, can we stop and look at these? And you keep trying to get their attention, and you keep trying to say, there is something way better than those turbine fans if you just can wait. If you can just stay focused on where we're going, these fans are going to be the least thing on your mind. There is something out there way better than these goofy fans. And then you go, and then they see a sign for the world's biggest ball of rubber bands. And we want to stop over here. Let's go. There's this big old ball of rubber bands. And you look at them, and you say, if you guys can just hold on, we are going to go see something way better than the world's biggest ball of rubber bands. We're going to see the Grand Canyon. Okay. And the goal of a parent on a road trip is helping your children see the benefit of the destination. It's helping them understand that where we're going, what's ahead, is way better than anything you're going to pass from here to there. That's why we're taking you there, right? If there was something better than the Grand Canyon between here and there, you better believe we're going to stop, right? Uh, but there isn't. But what we want to get to is there. Now, the problem is uh, so many times we can't keep people focused on the destination. Uh, and in our lives as Christians, uh, we often see everything from here to eternity, everything from here to heaven, as something that is worth going after. And we often get so caught up in looking for the big ball of rubber bands and looking at the big wind turbines, when God in His Word clarifies us there's something better. Right? All these things are, are what we call spiritual detours, or things that's going to get your focus off of Christ and off of His plan for your life. And we're so tempted as believers, even devout Christian believers, we're so tempted to look at these lesser glories and these lesser things and turn down that road and go. Okay? But the problem is, when we go down those roads, we, we drive for so long, and by the time we look up, we look around and realize, I'm not, even, I'm not, anywhere, I'm not anywhere even that can remotely look like biblical Christianity. Right? Like You look up and you say, I am so far from, from the narrow road that, that Christ had me on that I'm looking up and I can't even see that thing. Like, I don't even know where it is. And it's because we have to be so laser-focused on the, the path ahead, from what Christ has us looking forward to. And this morning, we're going to spend the whole morning on why Christ teaches us that we ought to not only live on the narrow road, but why Paul continues taking the Colossians in chapter 2. You can go ahead and flip open to chapter 2 in Colossians. Why he keeps hearkening back to the fundamental reality that our lives are in Christ. And where Christ is, is where we are looking to. Okay, Because even as Christians, it's the case for all of us. We, we, we laugh at our children because you know that they can't stay focused on the, on the destination. But neither can we. right? I mean, that is our problem, is it not? 
we're living every day and we get so caught up in what's going on today, what's going on tomorrow. I turned on the news via YouTube because I'm a millennial and I don't even have cable, okay? And so like YouTube, and I'm like, there's, you know, they're about to have war in, in Ukraine and, you know, uh, North Korea just launched the missiles and there's a sub-variant of Omicron. I'm like, I can like get so caught up in everything that's going on here that I'm never even focused on what's to come. And realizing that even the worst scenarios that we have here on earth are just to make it more sweeter and to make it, make it better and more real. What's coming is so much better than where we are, right? When you go to the Grand Canyon and you say, yep, it's a hole, okay? Like even the Grand Canyon, it's just a big hole. Like it's the same thing you get mad at your dog at for digging in the backyard. It's just a big one of those, all right? And what I'm saying is we have to be careful as Christians, okay? Uh, and we can't turn at every uh, spiritual detour in our life because we think it's going to be better. Because a, turning on a spiritual detour when we're heading for eternity, when we're heading for heaven, is like I'm on my way to the Grand Canyon, and I see a crack on the sidewalk, I go and look at it, and I call it a day, right? That is what it's like to take spiritual detours when what we have is so much better. That this crack in the sidewalk is somehow uh, substantive enough to keep my attention and to keep my focus when we're going after something way bigger than the crack in the sidewalk. We're going to the Grand Canyon, right? And in our lives as Christians, there's something so much better than all these things that we're going after. And, And not only are there things so much better, these things can't even save you. They can't, they don't do anything for you when it comes to your relationship with God. And that's what Paul jumps into here in Colossians 2.20. So we, as Christians, have to be vigilant, right? We have to be vigilant as we're on this journey, as we're walking through life. We have to be vigilant if we're going to navigate a culture. Remember our sermon series is navigating culture. We as Christians have to be vigilant to navigate a culture well, and it's crucial if you want to avoid spiritual detours that lead you away from Christ. And I know it's the last thing you want to hear when you come to church is, I got more work to do. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. It's, it takes work, right, to walk your faith out. It does. It takes work, and you got to pay attention, right? Just like you pay attention when your kids bring homework home from school, and you look at it, and you're like, what are they teaching my kid, right? The world is trying to teach you something about God, and it oftentimes is not good, right? And so we have to be careful and vigilant that anything that we're bringing into our lives, we got to ask, what does God's word say about this? Or what is this person who wrote this or is showing me this? What do they believe about God? We have to be vigilant and we have to be careful if we want to avoid spiritual detours that lead us away from God. Look at uh, verse 20 as we jump in here. Right off in verse 20, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, right, he's bringing the Colossian church back to the foundation of their faith. He wants you to understand this. If with Christ you died. Now, he's not saying if with Christ, saying did you or did you not? No, he's using this as it's a figure of speech. He's like, you know you have died with Christ. Not if you've died with Christ, you know you've died with Christ. And if you died with Christ, that means you've died to the elemental spirits of the world. And we've talked about this over and over again throughout this series because Paul talks a lot about the elemental spirits of the world. So to rehash, all that means is the things that we see, the things that we can touch, okay? The earth, the, the, the wind, the fire, the water, uh, even the heavenly the host, the, the sun, the, the, the moon, the stars. And the reason why these things are important for us is because we still, in a large part, focus on these things. I mean, everything that you focus on that takes your attention away from God is of physical uh, creation. It was made from something physical here on the earth, right? Your car was made out of the elements of the earth, right? Uh, even your, your relationships, your spouse your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your relationships, everything that we have here was made out of something physical from the earth, okay? So we need to understand what Paul is saying. You've died to, the, to 
counting on these elemental spirits of the world to make you right with God, to give you this fulfillment that is never going to happen. Okay? Uh, and the other element to this is to say, in ancient times and even today, in a lot of our culture, you have people who don't only like and enjoy the elemental spirits of the world, but they, uh, they project deity on them, right? They project a godness on these things, like uh, uh, Egyptians, they, they, the, the, the god of the sun, Ra, right? I mean, and you can go all the way through culture, and even today, the very months that we celebrate are named after mythological gods and belief systems. Okay, And so what I'm saying is, even here, Paul is both saying, here's the physical things that we're dealing with, but these physical things, you've even made like God, and you've even given them deity. And he's like, you've got to make sure that even though the world's doing that, you aren't going to be doing that. Why? Because you have died with Christ. You're dead. Okay, It's like you're in the back of a hearse, and you're driving because you're dead. You're not driving. Somebody's driving you down the road. I hope you're not driving if you're dead. All right. You're driving down the road, and a nice car passes. Well, that car is not getting your attention. Why? Because you're dead, all right? Like, you're dead. That car has gotten no value to you, okay? And it's the same concept that we got to see here, is this statement only makes sense if you're a Christian, because if I died with Christ, that means all these things in the world are of no value to me. They they are no value to me for me to, to use them to make me right with God, because they can't. The reason I had to die with Christ is because the things of the world couldn't get me there, and it was only Christ who could get me there. So if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now, tell me what it's not saying before I tell you what it is saying. Okay? What it's not saying is the law, therefore, has no bound on you in the sense that you can now go murder and you can now go break into your neighbor's car and house because why do you follow regulations? Well, the Bible tells me I don't have to follow regulations, and so I don't know why you're arresting me, officer, because the Bible tells me that I don't have to follow these. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there are regulations that have been set up in the world, in these religious societies, and even in your life that you try to follow to, to make you right with God, right? to try to win your salvation, to try to win your approval before the presence of God. And Paul's saying there's nothing that's going to win your approval to God other than you turning from your sins and trusting in Christ. That's the only thing that's going to win your approval. Now, remember, we talked about the difference between justification, which is you being right before God, and sanctification, God conforming you into his image. These are still two separate things, okay? There's lots of things that we need to do through the power of God's spirit that he's placed into us at salvation that walks us in holiness and righteousness as we grow in our faith. But when it comes to you being saved, nothing saves you other than Christ. Right? That's why Paul goes throughout the entire letter to the Colossians saying, not only is Christ sufficient, but he's Lord of the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, it says in Hebrews. Right? That's the Christ that we serve, and that's why he's sufficient to save, because he is the Lord of the universe. Okay, So we're talking about salvation, and he's saying, why do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, as though these things are going to save you. These things are not going to save you. All right? These things, if you keep all these rules, it's not going to get you any closer to God than you can fly to God. All right? And that's what Paul wants to rehash here. And he says what I love for you, for you to see here in verse 20. If you have died with Christ, why is if you were still alive in the world? Even that phrase right there. And for you and for me, what we have to see when it comes to spiritual detours is if you are dead to the world, if you're alive in Christ, why is if you were still alive in the world are you going after the world? Church, this is for you, right? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, are you going after the things of the world when you've died with Christ? Right? Why, for some reason, every time you get on, you wake up in the morning and, and you get on the proverbial road in life, do you take a left and a right every single time something seems enticing? 
Every time something seems a little bit better and a little bit juicier than, this, than, the, than the stoic, maybe dry relationship I'm in with God, why do those things just seem so much more tempting when you have died to those things? Right? Those things you have died to, as a matter of fact, as Scripture teaches, those things, all the things in the world, right, are alive and under the penalty of law. Do you understand what that means? Okay. The fact that everything you see that is created is under the penalty of law, which means at the time, when the time comes, Christ is going to come and he's going to exact his justice on everything that was made and created. We're going to get to that later in 2 Peter. So everything that you could be going after right now is under the law, which means at some point, the exacting justice of God is going to be poured out on all the things that are created. Therefore, it is under the law because it's going to get the recompense for what it is. And so we understand the world is decaying. We understand that sin is alive in the world. We understand that all these things at the right time, God is going to come and he's going to level it all out, right? He's going to come and he's going to make everything, put it right in, the, in its right position. And what we understand about the right position of the world and the sun and the moon and the stars, it's all going to fall, right? It's all going to be made as nothing. And so all these things that are made as nothing, for some reason, we still go after them knowing where they're going to end up. And that is the danger of, of, of our, our lives not focused on Christ. We take these spiritual detours of things that are never even going to last, and that is what Paul says here in verse 22, is it not? He says in verse 22, look at, look at what he says. You submit to these regulations. You, are, you have died to these things. Why are you still living in these very things that all perish as they are used? I mean, think about that. You, in so many ways, uh, go after things that even when you use them, they're dead, right? Even once you use them, they're gone, like food, okay? Like when you eat food... That food is gone as soon as you eat it. It's designed to be gone, right? And you need to understand that the world is the same way, right? Everything you use, right? You get gas in the car. That gas that goes in the car is designed to what? To disappear, right? You've got to understand as a Christian, every single thing here on earth is designed to disappear. It's, none of it's going to save you because it can't even save itself. Do you hear this? These things can't save you nor fulfill you because they're not even designed to last, the only thing that's designed to last is those things that are of Christ, those things that are above that we'll talk about in a minute that Pastor Evan just read to you um, in chapter one of, or chapter 3 in verse 1 of Colossians. But we've got to understand that all of these things, all of these things are perishing. Now, it also says in verse 22 that they are... That the wisdom that people give you toward these things, because we're, we're transitioning, okay? You understand that all these things are perishing, right? All these things are designed to disappear, to evaporate. I mean, even the most secular scientists in the world say, yeah, there's a timeline. This world's not lasting forever. That sun, that's going out someday. I mean, even our natural revelation, right? That is, that as God has created the universe, we understand things about God, and we understand that the, the world in the universe is limited, and it's on a timeline. Everybody knows this to be true, but yet we grasp it and we go after it as though it's the, it's the most permanent thing in, all, in the world. And it's not. All these things are going. Now, with those things, we understand that everything is perishing. Okay, now go over here. When we talk about you need, uh, often in your life, I need the five steps to get a promotion this week. Or I need the, you know, my marriage is a wreck, so I need the three steps to a better marriage. Or I don't feel close to God. I need to read a book that tells me the five steps to how to have a better relationship with God this week. I mean, that's what we're, we're doing. And we often go to the store and go to the self-help section, and we try to pick the best book that looks the prettiest, and we go grab it, and we open it up. And as we read these, these, these literature on how to help you blank, right, 
what we find is a lot of what we call and what Paul calls here in verse 22, human precepts and teachings, okay? Human precepts and teachings. And what, when we have the, the unfading, everlasting, very words of God in front of us, we often put these to the side, we hop over to, is there, do, do bookstores even exist anymore? Uh, I was going to say Hastings, but that's way gone, all right? And nowhere near, uh, what do we have? These Barnes and Nobles, okay? You're going to Barnes and, Barnes and Nobles, and you're, you're going, and like you're doing all this work when like, I know you got one of these at home. Statistically, every American has this in their home somewhere in some way, in some shape, in some form. And this book tells me I don't need to be uh, focusing on things that are going to try to help me according to human wisdom and precepts and teachings, but they're the first things I go to. Do you notice that? Like when you're dealing with a problem, the first thing you do is Google it. You know, how do I deal with this problem? It's like Google you, Google is going to help you? Like Wikipedia is going to get you through your marriage this week? No, okay? God's word is. Now, before I get too far that way, okay, according to human precepts and teachings, here's the line I want to draw, okay? When I'm not going to God's word, Right? We'll talk more about God's word as we get through this sermon. When I'm not focusing on God's word, and I'm focusing on what does so-and-so say about this, what does so-and-so say about that, you do realize that if they're not functioning through a biblical worldview, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? They don't answer the basic questions of how did we get here? Is there a God? What does God want in our lives? Where do I go when I die? If they don't answer those according to God's word, they are giving you wisdom of the world. They are giving you information that has nothing to do with what God's revelation of himself is to you and me. Does that make sense so far? Now, the problem with that now is they're going to try to help you have a great marriage. They're going to try to help you raise your kids. They're going to try to educate you in certain spheres of life and they don't even believe what you believe as a Christian. You see what I'm saying here? Now, what they're going to point you to, now here, this is where the bubbles would go off in your head. They're going to point you to things that are perishing. They're going to point you, if you do these things and this and this and this, uh, it's going to fix your marriage, when those things can't even save themselves. Like, all the things of the earth, it's perishing, right? The timeline is running out, the, uh, the sand has been flipped over, and it's almost out of time. And yet you're going to rely on those things that can't even keep themselves going. And it's important for us as Christians to, to understand that we don't have to be angry and walk around and say, I don't, I'm not going to listen to anything you say because you're not walking around with your Bible open. But we've got to understand that as we're going down this road, this road, so to speak, of life, you've got to make sure that you're not taking spiritual detours because something that someone says sounds attractive or sounds like it's going to work. When the Bible makes it clear how you ought to do these things, how am I supposed to be married? How am I supposed to raise my kiddos? Like, how am I supposed to make ethical decisions based on the world that I'm living in? The Bible answers those things, and human precepts and teachings mislead us and lead us down the wrong path. Proverbs 14.12. You can jot this down. Proverbs 14.12. It says this. This is, what, this is what God's Word says about the way that we think and the way that we try to live as people. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Do you hear that? I mean, this is, this is the truth that we find in Scripture is to men, to people, to us in the world, there is a way, and we're like, this is it. I mean, this is the way we're going. I'm, I'm, it's going to get us there. I promise. Just follow me, and we're going to get there. Okay? And the outcome here in Scripture says that 
end is the way to death. That if you want to follow that, it's the way to death. And that, is that not exactly what we're just talking about? All these things are perishing. Like anything a man and a person in this world can lead you to that doesn't have God at the center of it is on its way to perishing. It's on its way to death. It's on its way to never existing again. And we got to be careful as Christians in a culture that we live in here where it's all about the here and now to be sure that we're not taking detours that end in death, that don't that end in things being perished. And that means... You need to do this, and it's point number one on your outline. You need to reject direction that is based on human wisdom. Reject direction that is based on human wisdom. And here's the reason why. Right? You're dead. Remember, you're dead. We, we started with that, right? You're still in a hearse. You didn't get out of that hearse, by the way. You're still in it for the whole sermon, for the rest of your life, as a matter of fact, but definitely in the sermon, okay? You're in a hearse. And you're trying to, you're dead, and you're trying to, but and still, right, in, in some sense, we're still alive and functioning in this world, and you're trying to figure out problems, and so the doctor comes up, and you're, you're trying to figure out what's going on in my life, and the doctor says, you know what, you're just going to fix that? Some Tylenol, okay? And you're like, I'm dead, okay? Tylenol isn't going to help. And what I'm saying is, because you're dead, human wisdom is not helping you, because human wisdom is only trying to solve the problems of things that are around you get my things that are created. And we've got to, we got to understand that as Christians, we're dead. Like These things that people are trying to get my help with, I'm dead to those things. They can't help me with those things because those things are, are, are beyond me because I'm dead. I'm in Christ. So why, as if we were still alive in the world, do we try to go after these things? 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Jot that down. So many good verses here when it talks about the need to reject human-based wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Let no one deceive himself. So there's your first problem. We got to make sure that no one deceives, our, that we don't deceive ourselves, which there are two problems. It's, it's not great when, when, uh, when you lie to others, but there is no help for you when you're lying to yourself. You realize that because self-deception is the worst kind of deception. We understand that. And it says here, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, did you hear that? In this age. You understand it's a robust biblical theology to say, if I'm only thinking about the here and now, I'm not thinking with a biblical worldview. I'm not thinking like a Christian. I can't be thinking about this age alone. And here's what Paul says, if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, if he thinks he's got all the answers to, to everything going on here, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Paul literally says that if you really want to be wise, you really think you have all the answers, you need to become foolish to the world. Because the minute that I'm up on the pulpit and I start, and I stop tell, I start telling you, don't read all the self-help books, right? Uh, what does the Bible say about raising your kids? What does the Bible say about marriage? I mean, people are going to say, that's foolish. Like that, and, and that's exactly what, the, what God teaches us. It's like, yes, it is going to be foolish in the sight of the world to follow God. We know that to be true because I'm having to say no to everything that everyone's going after. All these things that are perishing, everyone's going after them. And you're a fool because you're not going after those things. I'm a fool because we're not going after those things. Because the Bible makes it clear that those are spiritual detours. Those are things that are going to lead us away from Christ and not to him. And we've got to be careful. And as the Bible says, let them become a fool that he may become wise. Verse 19 in 1 Corinthians 3. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. Did you hear that? The wisdom of the world is folly with God. And this is good news for you and me, because when, when people are telling us that what you believe is archaic, uh, I can't believe that you would, uh, 
that, that you believe that you're the, that you, because you're the husband, that you're the head of your household, how dare you, right? Uh, you know, and keep going, woman, you, you raising kids, you think that's, that's your job, to educate and raise your kids in a godly household? You, that's so 1700s, right? And, like, the world has devalued all the things that God has valued. So the minute that you start valuing the things of God, the world is going to look at you and say, like, why are you valuing these things that no one even talks about? Because God talks about them, and God cares about them, and I'm going to go after the things of God and not after the things of the world. I have souls to take care of that will last forever, and I'm not going after the next big home, next big car, and next big job because i got things that are more important. Like, that's what it means to reject the direction that's based on human wisdom. There's a lot of people out there, they're going after it. They may be the successful business people. Business is going to perish, right? Money's going to perish. Those, those things are going to perish. But they're living in it, and they're so successful. Not, I'm not just you know, bashing on the CEOs. This is everybody, okay? We all, all the world is going after these certain things. And I want, to, uh, I want to turn you to Isaiah 47. Go to Isaiah 47. Here's a great nation in Isaiah 47 called Babylon. If you know your Bible, you know Babylon was uh, the nation that took over Judah, the southern kingdom of, the, of Israel that had split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, Babylon is the country that came and took over the southern kingdom. Uh, 587? Yeah, 587 B.C., okay? Uh, and so they're taking over for Judah. And here's what, here's what the prophet Isaiah says uh, because in Isaiah 47, the coming of the fall of Babylon is coming soon. And this is what Isaiah says about the soon fall of the great nation of Babylon. In verse 10, so Isaiah 47, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 47, verses 10 and 11. It says this, you, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me, right? I mean, you think because you do things and no one sees that, that, you're, that you're safe, that everything's fine because I'm not seen, right? Your wisdom says that no one sees me. And it says next, your wisdom and your knowledge, they lead you astray. Well, there's worldly wisdom, worldly knowledge. Those things are leading you astray from what God's desire and God's plan is, okay? And it says next, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Well, that's a problem because the I am statement in Scripture says I am God. And they're saying, I am God. There's no one beside me. Friends, is that not what culture says about you? You are the God of your own life. You get to tell yourself where to go. No one gets to tell you where to go except for you. Like, like you are the master of your ship, okay? All right? You get to go where you want to go. Isn't that not what culture tells us? And here, we're, we're, we're looking at a wicked nation, and they're saying the same thing. And here's verse 11. Look at verse 11. Because he already said, I am, and there's no one beside me. Verse 11, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. And this is what, this is what I love. Every single time in our culture, when something really bad happens, right? Somebody loses everything, right? And they, they don't have a, a biblical framework of why bad things happen. The minute that something bad happens, they say, why? Why did this happen? Like, what is going on? I did all of these things and still I have nothing. And as Christians, we say, yeah, the Bible literally says that it's going to, it's going to rain on the, on the just and the unjust. The sun's going to rise on the good and the bad. The good and like we understand as Christians, like, like you aren't you aren't protected from all the bad things in the world just because you're a Christian. And you understand that there's going to be wicked people out there that are going to be wicked wealthy. You know, and we understand that as Christians because that's a biblical worldview. Just because I do all these good things doesn't mean I'm just given all these good things. And just because I'm doing all these bad things don't mean good things don't happen to me. I mean that is that's a Christian worldview. But people don't understand that because if I do A, B, and C, I should get right? I should get everything that I'm wanting. 
But here's what it says. Evil's going to come upon you, and you ain't going to know how to charm that away. And here's what it says. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Right? I mean, there's just this idea that I, they're saying, I am God, and there is no one beside me. And then they're walking down the, they're walking down the, the, the road to life, and God hits them on the head, and they're like, oh, God, I'm God. What do you mean, God? You know, what do you mean, God? What do you mean, what, why are these bad things happening? I thought I was the one making these decisions. Well, you're not, right? But, the, but that's the problem with worldly wisdom, is worldly wisdom sees you as an end to yourself. And as Christians, we are no ends to ourselves. We are living for God. And so that's why we got to make sure that we need to reject direction that's based on human wisdom, because human wisdom makes life about me. And life isn't about me, it's about God. Right? You, got, you knew that, right? It's about God. Here's some things we can do this week to learn how to better reject direction that's based on human wisdom. And there are people who are going to dislike this statement. What do you mean reject human wisdom? Well, yeah, because there are people who want to exercise influence over you, right, and get you to do what they want. And when you open up the Bible, you know, and you're like, well, you know, Ephesians, Ephesians, it teaches me that I need to... Uh, as a husband, I need to love my wife, so I can't love myself. I can't go golfing with you guys this Sunday. Guys, i got to love my wife. Okay? Wives, it says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ladies, I know you told me to tell my husband off the other day, but I can't. The Bible tells me I need to love him and submit to him in all things. You see what I'm saying? That, that's not human wisdom. That's, that's God's wisdom. And it leads to eternal things and not temporary things. Some things you need to do this week. Uh, reject syncretistic ideas of spirituality. Okay, well, I know that's big words, okay? Reject syncretistic ideas of spirituality. Here's what the world wants to do. They like to make a big salad out of religion, right? A little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and whatever else you want to put, then shake that bad boy up, and whatever you're left with is, is your way. And what I'm saying is you got to be careful because even when you're not thinking, when, especially when you're not thinking about it, but even when you are thinking about it, you can have uh, worldviews that are not biblical sprinkled into your life. And you've got to be careful to not base your decisions and your life on these ideas of syncretistic uh, spirituality. And we live in a syncretistic society, right? I mean, when I look at, when I look at like I told you earlier, the months of the year, the days of the week, uh, you know, I mean, even... Ugh, there's, there's so many things, even holidays that are named. These days, there, there are all these different spirits, there are all these different gods and all these different religions, and we're all kind of here in this melting pot, so to speak. And you've got to know this is biblical, this is not biblical, this is godly, this is not godly, okay? And you've got to know I'm not going to go after those things. Secondly, you need to know where people are coming from. Remember, this is just the word worldview. When people are speaking to you, you've got to know where they're coming from. Who, is, there, are gonna, is there a God? Uh, if there is a God, what does he want in my life? How did the world get created? Where do I go after I die? Everyone is talking to you, and all the sentences and phrases they use have those in the background. Right? If there is no God, if I don't go anywhere when I die, if God doesn't want anything from me, and the world just, boom, came into being through whatever, life is about me. Right? I'm going to make this about me because this is all I got. Do you, hear, you see what I'm saying? So when I say, I'm going out and I'm buying the, the, the nicest car in the universe next week, and, uh, you know, my kids, uh, I, whatever, you know, I, I know my kids need new shoes. I know they need new clothes. This is just an example. This is not the point. The point of the being is I'm making it about me and I'm not making it about anything else but me because there is no God. There is no anything. It's all just a big giant accident and we're all here. So might as well make it best now. 
But a Christian who's thinking in a Christian worldview through the lens of the Bible is going to say, this isn't about the here and now. It's not about me. There is a God. Uh, he created the world. He spoke it into being. Uh, he breathed his breath into me. That's why I'm different than the animals, okay? Because he breathed his breath into me, gave me the breath of life, gave me, and breathed it into me. That's why I can speak and communicate and build giant, enormous cities, and I can build airplanes that fly through the sky. If you still think that's not strange, you're crazy, okay? All right, we can do things that no one else can do because we're created in the image of God. You see what I'm saying? The idea that you're speaking through a biblical worldview changes the way that you answer the questions to everything. And your questions need to look different than the world because we think different than the world. We live differently than the world. We act differently than the world. Now, you need to know where other people are coming from, but you also need to know where you're coming from. Okay? And this is the problem, and you have a lot of problems in maybe your marriage or in your own personal life. Maybe it's because you don't know the Bible enough. You know it enough to know what you're doing is not right, but you don't know the Bible well enough to know what do I need to do because of this, whatever it is, blank whether it's life or work or marriage, uh, you've got to know where you're coming from. You know, when you are entered into a problem, uh, and I like to use marriage uh, because marriage is great. Every culture in the world has marriage in their, in their culture. Like, when you're having conflict in your marriage, what does the Bible say about it? Like, you know there's conflict, right? You can feel the conflict. And you're going to go to every self-help book in the universe to try to figure out how do I deal with conflict. And it's never going to account for, for God, not a God, the God. Right? who expects and requires us to live in a certain way with our spouses. Husbands, live in an understanding way towards your spouse. Although wives, now, follow your husbands. Right? Submit to them in all things. But husbands, you've got to love your wife like Christ loved the church. How can any other worldview tell the husband to love their wife like Christ loved the church when Christ is not evident in any other worldview? You see what I'm saying? There are things that the Bible teaches us to do as husbands and wives that's only found in Scripture. You're not finding them anywhere else. Only through a biblical worldview are you going to understand how to live in your marriage and in your life according to the Bible. Whew, we're covering a lot today, guys. This is good. All right. We're talking about spiritual detours. And when you're entertaining worldly wisdom, right, when you're not taking into account what God's Word has to say into things, and not taking into account like one of many, if you aren't focusing on what God's Word says, that's the quickest way to a spiritual detour. And according to verse 23 of Colossians 2, go ahead and look at that again, it's a tempting option, right? It's a tempting option to look at what the world is going to offer you. It's tempting. And it's literally what Paul says. Look at verse 23. He says, these things, these things that are, that are temporary, these things that are passing away, these things that people are telling you you need and you want and you got to have, they indeed have an appearance of wisdom. You hear that? And you, you got to know this because this is where the trick happens uh, in our lives as Christians. We like to, we do, a, we do a smell test when it comes to everything. Like we do, we're smell testers. That's what we are. Okay, and you go up to something and as long as it doesn't smell bad, you automatically give it the thumbs up. Okay, like you don't even do this with your kid, like when they're when they have a diaper on, right? Like, like you smell and you're like, I don't know, I don't smell. Then what do you do? You look. Okay, so you go, you don't just smell because you know sometimes I can't smell it. You know, like sometimes it's there, but it doesn't smell. Okay, and what I'm saying is, you know, as a parent, that that you got to go further, right? I mean, there are times you just got to undo that thing and go in there and look. Okay. And you laugh at that, but what I'm saying is as Christians, we just, that's good, go after it. And what I'm saying is, it may appear like it doesn't stink. It may appear like there doesn't need to be a diaper changed here. But that's not true. Like, we have to do more than just smell test. 
we got to get in there and make sure that there isn't a problem with the appearance of what something is when it comes to uh, pushing back against a biblical worldview. Because here's oftentimes what they do. They promote self-made religion. They're the people that like to throw all the salad together and mix it all up. And hey, you know, because you're going to look at that salad and you're going to say, there's some Jesus in there. That'll work. All right. I like it. I like where this person's coming from. They know where I'm coming from. No, they don't. Because if anyone wants to add Jesus to something else, that's not Jesus, right? That's not the God of the Bible. And so we got to be careful because what the world wants to do is they want to promote self-made religions, asceticism, which we talked about last week, severity to the body. But hear this out, the last phrase that Paul says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These things, they have an appearance of wisdom, right? I was looking up top hits for like spiritual, spiritualism, and this is what I looked up. I was like, you know, what are, what, you know, what are things that people go after in spiritualism? Okay, well, I want to be more spiritual. I want to be connected to the divine. Here's the top things that you can do to be more connected with the divine. You need to eat this food. You hear that already? I mean, didn't Paul just literally just talk about this? Like literally four verses up? They're going to tell you you have to eat certain foods. Nah. Okay, he, th- this is literally still the top hit in 2022. If you eat this banana, I talked about this last week, remember? Eat this banana and you're somehow going to be connected to God in some otherworldly way. You know? No, okay? All right, that's number one. Number two, connect to like-minded people. That's, that smells good, doesn't it? That don't smell bad. We tell you to do that at church. it got to be good, right? Yeah, we tell you to get connected to like-minded people so you can walk in your faith, not to make you right with God, right? And they're trying to tell you, if you walk with like-minded people, you're somehow going to have this connection with God that no one else is going to have unless they're doing that. No, okay? Absolutely not. All right, uh, connect to like-minded people. Meditate. What are you meditating on? Like, who are you thinking about? Okay. Forgive. That sounds, that smells, right? That's all, Christianity is all about forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness for our sins against a holy God who's going to pour his wrath out on the world. Not your forgiveness so you can have this therapeutic uh, release from all of the guilt and shame in your life. That's, that's not what the forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is to make you and I right with a holy, just God. You're not going to get that in a self-help book. You're going to get that from Scripture. The big one, love yourself, like self-care. If you don't love, like, you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And, and sometimes people will talk about uh, the scripture that says, you need to love others as yourself. And people take that out of context. Do you know why Christ says that? Because you don't do anything but love yourself. Like, you know how to love yourself so well, and Jesus is saying, learn how to love other people like you love yourself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, deny yourself. Isn't that, you'll actually read that in your, uh, your application questions this week. The Bible says deny yourself. Don't take care, more care of yourself. Don't give yourself more love and affection. You do that well enough already. But that's what the world tells you to do. Love yourself or you can't love anybody else. False. You love yourself so well. As a matter of fact, you can deal with a little less self-love. All right? <laughs> it's, what the, it's what the Bible teaches. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, and then uh, there's a lot more, but I, you know, be open to everything. Like that is like the worst thing you can do. I mean, be open to every whatever anyone says. Like I, I like that. I like where that's going. No, okay. Like the Bible, that's foolishness. That's human wisdom, and that's an enmity with God. All right, so many more things we can say about that. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, and this is this is why the Bible speaks against these things so much, is because they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That is, like, you want to do all these things because there's something about you you don't like, 
right? There's something about you that you just, you, you, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. I don't want it in my life. And there's something about you you don't like, and you think that if you do one, two, three, and four, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you like yourself. It's going to make you feel purposeful. It's going to make you feel like you're going where you need to be going. And Paul's saying there is no value, no value. Those things give you 0% value. As a matter of fact, these people who want to project this onto you, uh, Jesus talks about them in Matthew 15, 8, and 9. You can jot that down. We understand these things don't connect you to God. But there are people out there who want to claim otherwise. Matthew 15, 8 through 9 says this. This people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you hear that? There's these people that are going to tell you the things that sound and smell right. right? They're gonna, you're going to say it, and you're going to go, you can use a tic-tac, but what you're saying makes sense. Okay? And because Why? Because with their words, with their lips, they're saying the right things, but their heart is far from me. Those people are no more connected to me than, I could, than, than they, they, they'd be connected to God. Right? They are not connected to me because their heart is far, not me, pardon me, their heart is not connected to God. Their lives aren't connected to God. But they say things that are attractive. They say things that make sense. They say things that have an appearance of wisdom. But their hearts are far from God. In vain do they worship me. Now listen, this last phrase is what should get your attention. They teach as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In layman's terms, this. They're trying to tell you that God says so-and-so. When God never said anything like that, they said it. And they're trying to make it that God said it. And you got it. Isn't that the world? If, if, If you do this you're going to be fixed. If you do this, you're going to be happier with yourself. If you do this, life is going to be better. Right? The Bible literally has nothing to say about that in those terms. The Bible says, hey, you, you want to be fixed? The fix is not in the here and now. It's in the then and there. If you want to be fixed, it's about you getting your relationship fixed with God. It's a, literally that God had created the whole universe, and you've never even considered that in your life that God created the universe, that he literally says it. Like, if people say, well, I can't believe that. I didn't say it anywhere. It's literally the first line in the book. Like, it's the first line in the book says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like, it doesn't get any more clear and foundational than that. And like, we have got to live our lives and trusting that God is the one who did it. And God created you. That means he is ultimately in charge. Okay? And if God is in charge, he sets the standard. If he's in charge, he sets up what is, what is right and what is wrong. And what he has said and what we have done through our own lives is broke what he said is right and done what he said is wrong. And so there is a brokenness in your relationship with God that has to be fixed. And that's why we talk about Christ. Because Christ came right, in the form of man, right, but complete deity, who was God, came down in the flesh, took on the form of you and me to live that life and die the punishment that we deserve. That's like that's literally that's called a biblical understanding of salvation. And then we respond to that by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin and I trust in you. There's the gospel is is right there. And we've got to understand that we can't learn that by the doctrines of man. Right? Man is not going to tell you that you don't have it right with God. You realize that. Man is not going to tell you that. Only God's word is going to tell you that. And that's why you need to do point number two on your outline. You need to value the Bible's capacity to direct you to Christ. Value the Bible's capacity to direct you to Christ. There are so many reasons, and we're going to jump into it right now, how important the Bible is and how the world has tried to devalue the Bible. Okay. Psalm 119, 103 through 105. You can jot that down. You don't have to turn to it. 
once you write point number two, value the Bible's capacity to direct you to Christ, then jot down Psalm 119, 103 through 105. It says there, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Do you hear that? Through God's word, I'm going to get understanding. I'm going to learn how to understand. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you know what's going to, a natural byproduct of hearing and reading and learning God's word is not that you get understanding. That's, the, that's what's the effect. That's what's going to happen. The byproduct is you're also going to hate the false ways because you're going to see when you read scripture that it's very clear. Right? The Bible is very clear in how we uh, restore relationship with God, how we live in our, in our homes, in our lives, how, how we ought to make decisions in, in obedience to Christ. And because of that, then you're going to start looking and thinking, man, what they said is completely wrong. What that person said the other day, that's misleading people. Like, you're going to hate false ways. And then 105 is a verse you guys know very well, when it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're thinking about this road trip that we're all on. I mean, we need nothing more than some light. We need nothing more than, than a lamp to guide us as we're going down the road. I mean, there's a reason you have headlights on your car, because, you know, if you're driving without headlights, you're in trouble. The problem is that so many of us in, in our lives, we're trying to live this life with no headlights. I mean, and we're just driving and we're smiling with everyone in the car, acting like everything's okay. And it's not. There's no light that's guiding you. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's your word. There's a subject here, right? Is the word, right? What is guiding you? God's word. And it's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. All right, and here's a little bit technical, but not really technical, okay? You need to value the capacity, the Bible's capacity to direct you to Christ. And here's a reason. Here's your reasons why. Because in this world, we have something that we call general revelation, okay? People also call it natural revelation. Write that down. Right? General revelation and natural revelation. And this is what everybody in the whole world has access to, no matter what. Okay? And, and here's uh, Hebrews talks about it, Romans talks about it, Genesis 1 talks about it. Right? When you look around the world, and I, this, every skeptic and every agnostic and every atheist and every, every body in the world is going to look around and say, wow. They're gonna, you're going to look at the mountains Right? You're going you're to look at the universe, you're going to look at all the galaxies, you're going to look at all the planets, you're going to look at the sun and say, how does that stay up there? Right? You're going to say, who created all this? Or you're going to go to the ocean and you're going to say, that's big. All right? You're going to go to Texas and you're going to say, that's beautiful. Okay? <laughs> that's called general revelation. You know that you didn't do that. Right? You know that accidents did not do that. What I'm saying, general revelation is as you look around the world, in the universe, it testifies that there is a God. It testifies that there is indeed a God. Psalm 19 says it this way. Psalm 19, 1 through 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Okay? When I wake up at night and look up in the sky, I have to assert and declare and concede that God is real. I can go on and on, but I, I can't. Okay? General revelation. It's that which everyone can see, and therefore we know God can exist because it's clear to see. Actually, Romans says it. What can be known about God is clear to see. Namely, his divine power. To see that God is, is all-powerful, omnipotent, right, is very clear. 
but Romans goes on to say that they reject it. They just say, no, there's got to be another. It's like, no, look around. There's, there's no other option here, right? That's general revelation. Okay, then there's this idea of special revelation. Special revelation is what everyone does not have. Okay, and special revelation, in so many words, it's, it's that which God reveals to us through His Word concerning Him and our relationship with Him. Okay, that's what special revelation. That's not the, the totality of special revelation, but that's what special revelation does. It's that which is concerned with God and how we relate to Him. That's called special revelation. Because when you look at the world and you look at the universe, general revelation, you don't automatically say, oh, I get how I relate to God. You don't know. But you, you have an awe and a reverence because whatever did this, I am, is nothing like me. Right? That's general revelation. Special revelation says, here's how you relate to this awe-inspiring, magnificent God. That's special revelation. And special revelation teaches you how to do that. And that's why we are so serious about the Bible. It's, the, it's, it's God's inspired word, right? right? 1 Timothy 3.16, right? It is, it's God's inspired word and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. It's good for all those things. It's theopneustos. It's God-breathed, which means it's special revelation because it's how God says, here's this, my word, and here's how you can relate to me. You know who can't get that? No one else. Right? You don't get that. You can't get it in the self-help books. You can't get it in your science book. The best they can do is give you general revelation. And you know what general revelation is? All the things that are going to pass away. Those mountains that look pretty, they're going. The universe, it's out of here. Okay? All those things that you can give wisdom on, they're going to die. Special revelation gives you things in which you can, will never, never be destroyed, that will never leave. That's what special revelation is. 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. General revelation cannot give you that. Only special revelation gives you that. And this is what this is, special revelation. We can talk about the nature of scripture, the veracity of scripture. We can talk about all those things later. We don't have time today. But you've got to understand that we believe that this is God's word, and we have good reason to believe this is God's word. We didn't, somebody didn't slap this in front of you the other day and said, just believe it. No, we have good reason to believe this is God's word. And once, when you do, you have to understand that this is God's special revelation. <sighs> Understanding the nature of Scripture, it should do a couple of things, but primarily it should bolster your own confidence in using the Bible as your sole authority to accomplish the very things that we got to end up doing here in chapter 3. As we jump into chapter 3, look at verse 1. This is everything believers must do, and you find it through Scripture. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, we saw uh, chapter 3. We're going into it. Chapter 3 now, we learned a lot about theology and doctrine. And if you've been sitting here for the last couple of months, you're like, man, they're just, ah, yeah, all right. Okay, yeah, because the Bible is talking about that, okay? Uh, chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, we're going to talk about husbands and wives and kids. We're going to talk about all those things. Why? Because the Bible talks about those things, okay? Uh, but now we're in this transition where Paul has said all of these things that we need to know about God in order to understand and have a proper understanding of who God is. And now he's going to start going into, now here's what we do because of these things, okay? And chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 says this here. If then you have been raised with Christ. If you go back to uh, verse 20, you see an if-then statement, right? If with Christ you died, then you have been raised with Christ. Did you hear that? 
So no, we're no longer dead in this hearse anymore. Okay, now you're not dead in the hearse because you've been raised with Christ. Okay, that means everything that we do has to be the things that Christ is going to do because now my life is in him. I have no life outside of Christ because everyone who's dead in the grave right now cannot be revived in any other way other than being in Christ. That's how we have life. That's how we live because we're in Christ. So therefore, because we're raised with Christ, we need to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Well, of course, if I'm raised with him and that's where he is, I need to be seeking those things. And, you know, the fancy, you know, they say it fancy. If you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, really what that means is this, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you need to seek the things that are above. Right? If you're a Christian, seek the things that are above. Now, you ask this question, and I had to work real hard. I'm trying to work real hard because I don't, try to, I don't like to give you ethereal ideas. Seek things that are above, man. Just go, just seek them. You know, you'll find them, you'll know when they're there. No, okay? The Bible is clear, so we had to search a little bit. What are the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? So you have to ask yourself a question. What are things I need to be pursuing? Okay, the presence of God, right? Number one, that's the presence of God. And what does that mean? That means if you're not in right relationship with God, you're out of the presence of God. So the first thing that every person on earth needs to do is, how do I get in the presence of God? And there's a lot of people who want to answer this question, but the only one that answers the question right is Scripture. It's God's revelation about himself written in his word. and says, if you want to be in my presence, you've got to be holy. And you're not holy. The only way that you're going to be holy is by the imputed righteousness of Christ being placed on you through you turning from your sins and trusting in him. That's how you can be in my presence. So, and once we're in God's presence through the Holy Spirit indwelling us at salvation, okay, that's what we need to be seeking. How can I make sure that I'm living every day understanding that I'm in the presence of God? Number two, you know what you need to be pursuing? Holiness. Holiness. Holiness is the word, is the word sanctified or set apart or consecrated. It's and this is the reason everyone says, well, why do I got to do good works? Because heaven is full of good work. It's full of holiness. Like, for, and and it is, it's fleshly and it's sinful in our mind to think, when I give my life to Christ, there are, I don't have to do anything about it. It's like, that is so, that's so fleshy. You know, that's so earthly to say that, like, fleshy, you know? It's, yeah, fleshy. Uh, it is. It's so worldly to think that you've been redeemed by the God of the universe and you want to sit on the couch and eat chips. No, get out there, right? Be holy, be set apart. That's what it means. Like, if you understand your relationship with God, you're going to do nothing but want to live a holy life because that's in heaven. And that's what I think. Seek what is above. I want you to, in your mind, what is heaven like? Do you think heaven's holy? Do you think it's sanctified? Do you think it's set apart? How set apart? How sanctified is heaven? Okay. And you're told to seek those things. So you ought to seek holiness. How can I be more holy? How can I be living more set apart in this world? Goodness. You think heaven's full of goodness? You think the presence of God is full of goodness? It's all goodness. Faithfulness. We're getting to some of the fruits of the Spirit. How faithful do you think the, pres- and the being at the presence of God is? How much, how much faithfulness is there between the Trinitarian God? How faithful is God the Father to God the Son? How faithful is God the Son to God the Spirit? How faithful is God the Spirit to God the Father? How faithful are they to each other? Ultimately faithful. Those are things you need to be seeking, faithfulness. Some more practical things, God's people. Do you know who's going to be in the presence of God for eternity? God's people, okay? And that's why we tell you to go to church, because although that we are, we are if you're in here and you're, you're a Christian, that is, you've turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, you are God's people, and you know that everyone in here who's done that, you're going to be eternally in the presence of God forever. And if I'm trying to seek the things that are above, I can't get any more in, in, entrenched in the things above than looking at you right now. Because you're going to be there forever, I'm going to be there forever. And that's why we say church is important. 
Because if I'm seeking the things that are above, that means I'm with God's people. Because the certain, the, what you need to understand here on earth is you have God's people and you have people who are not God's people. And all of God's people are going to be in his presence forever. And all of the people who are not God's people are not going to be in God's presence forever. And so when we say, why do I go to church? Because I need to be with God's people. Because to seek things that are above, I've got to be where God's people are because they're the, they're the people who are going to be with God. So many more things. Just to show you, we just you got to know, like, there is so much you can do to seek the things that are above. Worship. You know, do you know what's going on in heaven right now? I love it. In the Old Testament and New Testament, you see that in eternity past, you have the angels in heaven and the seraphim who can't even look at God. They're covering up their, their eyes, uh, and, and they're up, and they're flying with their other wings, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? And over and over again in heaven, you have, you have myriads and myriads and myriads of angels over and over again. They're, they're, that's what they're saying over and over again. From eternity past and eternity presence. And I love it when you read in Revelation, you now still have these seraphim and, the, and these heavenly hosts and all these people bowing down at Christ and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Right? It's, it's, it's us with the revelation of God that in the heavens there is always worship going on. Always, 24-7. If you don't like worshiping in here, I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. Because that's all that's on. You can't change that channel. It's the same one. Right, you thought you had it bad with three growing up. You got one, all right? And that's what I'm saying. You got those things. Seek those things. Truth. How much truth is in heaven? All truth. Right? And that's why, that's why we talk about truth is at a, at a premium. Because all heaven is is truth. And, so when, when, and that's why all truth is not equal truth. God's revelation is truth. That which is in heaven is truth. So many more, but I don't have time. And if we understand that, and we understand the things that are above are the things that we need to seek, we need to do this, and it's point number three. You need to spend your time pursuing Christ. Spend your time pursuing Christ. I almost missed this, and I didn't even know if I wanted to say it this way. I almost missed this, and this is what makes me so passionate about this, and why I'm going to go over two minutes, okay? I almost missed this as I was putting this sermon together. I, I, I got so convicted last night because I said, I almost missed it. Your pastor almost missed putting it in his sermon because we get so caught up in, why does God want me to do all these things? Like, and is it really doing all these things? Or is it just following Christ? The simplicity of it is just following Christ. But why is God so specific about how he wants us to follow him? And I almost missed it. Because what's so important about seeking things that are above? What happens if I don't? Well, flip to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. New Testament towards the end, 2 Peter. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to leave here and, and miss this. And it has everything to do with all these things in the world. They're going to pass away. And since we've died with Christ, we can't live as though we're still alive in the world. We've been raised with Christ. So we seek these things that are imperishable. And that's why we spend our time pursuing Christ, because those are only the things that are going to last. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, and starting in verse 3. says this. Peter says this. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. All right. Can we just stop there? Could you interpret that for me? Can you tell me what that means? What I'm saying is you're, if you were up here, you'd be saying this exact same thing. There are going to be people who want to mislead you and want to tell you things that have nothing to do with God's word. Right? You, that, right? Isn't that what that means? Right. Good. Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? This is the second coming of Christ, that Christ is coming back. There's these people, and they already do it. Right? Where is the promise of his coming? And this was written in the first century, you realize, not long after Jesus died. 
Peter already said, hey, there's going to be people who are going to say, where is the promise of his coming? He's not coming back. And it says this, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from their beginning of creation. He's saying, he's not coming back. Nothing's changed since he left. You guys are fools to believe that Jesus is coming back. Skip to verse 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So we understand time is different with God, right? Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that the, the greatest news? That Of course Christ wants to come get his people. He wants to come get his church. But you know why he's not getting his church? Because he's waiting for you to turn from your sins and trust in Christ. He is being patient. And he's, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, but there's people out there that he wants saved. Like, there's people out there that he wants them to come to a realization that he created the universe, that he's holy, perfect, and just, and he loves them, and he wants them to turn from their sins and trust in him so his wrath doesn't have to be poured out on them, that they can be spared from the judgment of God. Like, isn't that the best news you've ever heard in your whole life? Like, why has Jesus, why is, why is Jesus come back yet? Because you ain't repented, that's why, all right? And why is, Jesus, why is Jesus not coming back? Because you guys aren't preaching and sharing the gospel with people. You want Jesus to come back? Get out there. When we saved all the people that God wants saved, he's going to come back. But until then, he's going to tarry. That's what the Bible says. That's the reason we got to get out there, guys. Come on. All right, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is the dangerous part, right? And I, I got convicted last night because I was talking to my wife at the, at the table, and I said, you know, I live a lot of my life as though Jesus isn't coming back tonight. And you, I imagine you do too. But every time I read in Scripture, when it talks about how Jesus is coming back, it all, it's always in this context. The day of the Lord, when Christ comes back, it's going to come like a thief. You don't know when a thief's coming. He's going to break in at the time you least expect it. And then the heavens, look at this. This is what I want you to see. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Do you hear that? Don't go after these things. That, they don't end well, okay? Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Did you hear that? Why are we want to be holy and godly people? Because the Bible says, because all of these things are passing away, what kind of people should you be when it comes to holiness and godliness? The holiest and the godliness? Because I know all these things are, are, going to, are going to be dissolved. They're going to be destroyed. So I have nothing left to do but be holy and godly. Because I'm not going after these things. Verse 12, and here's also what we should be doing. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, look, this is the good news. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We, th these things are passing away, but there is something way better coming. Guys, like we're like looking at the crack in the sidewalk when the Grand Canyon is down the road. Okay, And we've got to focus on that because all these things are going to pass away. But when Christ comes, he's going to usher in his kingdom. He's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to dwell with him, and in that place, righteousness will dwell. So there's a lot of things we need to do, but what I don't want you to miss when it comes to why are you living holiness here? Why are you living godliness here? Because Christ is coming back. Like, and what you want to be when he comes back is prepared and ready you want to be the kind of person that says, I, I knew it. I knew you were coming. Like, I, was, I waited for you. I prepared. Come look at my house. It's ready for you. Okay? And there's so many of us, though, are going to be like stuffing our face. Like, you know, we're going to be like little kids stuffing our faces with cookies at 2 a.m. in the morning, and mom and dad turns on the kitchen light, and you're going to be like, oh, no. Okay? Don't be that guy. Right? 
Because God has given us so much of his special revelation, his word that tells us what's going to happen. And so it would be to our shame and to our despair to not be prepared for such a return as the return of Christ. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, is sometimes as hard as it is to just get it all there and just get concise and get it out the way that you want it, God. I just pray that this sermon in some measure hit the target that it was good for what you needed it to do, that it would help us understand the necessity for us to live godly lives, to seek the things that are above, to understand that all these things are transient and passing and they're going to be destroyed and they're going to be uh, thrown into the fire and they're going to dissolve and fall out of the sky. And how crazy would it be for us to pursue those things that we know aren't even going to be here? But the God, we know that you're going to usher in a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth and God, how good would it be for us in this time that if we would uh, start uh, laying away treasure that's going to be available to us in those times, in those days, in that new heaven, in that new earth. So help us live today looking forward to the then and there. Help us do that. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.